Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 39. Luke chapter number one, verse number 39. We'll read down to verse number 56. The word of God says that Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is her cousin, of course. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Now, you'll notice your Bible does not say the fetus, but it says the babe. Uh, The babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. His mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank for the word of God. Pray that you'd help us to rightly divide the word of truth. And may it find entrance in our hearts this evening. We'll be sure to thank you for what's accomplished. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice particularly verse number 46. Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. I want to preach to you on that thought tonight, magnifying the Lord during this Christmas season. You know, undoubtedly, and I'm not the first person to notice this, and uh, it's probably even becoming somewhat trite to, to even point it out because it is such a common understanding that sort of the Christmas card portrait of what Christmas looks like in many ways leaves out much of the context of what the people that are involved in the Christmas story were experiencing and were dealing with. That's not to suggest it's not a scene of beauty and of glory. Certainly it is. But we also, I think many of us have taken note of the human hardship that surrounds the story of the incarnation. You know, the months between the announcement of Christ's birth and the actual moment of his arrival were no doubt months of hard decisions and anxious waiting on the part of Mary and Joseph. And again, you know, we have this sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, docu-series, uh, you know, perspective that, that is uh, sort of, uh, uh, of uh, set and cast in this idea of the Christmas season. But you imagine what it would have been like to be these two young people and to experience what they are experiencing and have to face the things that they are facing. When we come to this passage of Scripture, there's three things that I would say we could reasonably say concerning Mary and Joseph and Mary in particular. I would say, number one, no doubt when we get to this passage, Mary was weary. 
She was with child, with all of the biological challenges and difficulties that are associated with that. No doubt she was tired. No doubt she was emotionally ragged. No doubt she had spent much time considering and trying to understand her situation. And you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes, even in this Christmas season, it can wear you down. I mean, you can just grow tired. You can grow weary. No doubt Mary was weary. No doubt Mary was worried. Now, understand, Elizabeth says, you've believed the Lord. And this statement, this 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 sort of paragraph of, of praise that Mary gives, it's come to be known as the magnificent, the, the, the song of praise or anthem of praise that, that she gives. No doubt she had much faith in her heart. But you know, something I found in the Word of God, there's a distinction between disbelief and unbelief. And in the Bible, I do think that we can have faith while at the same time struggling with unbelief. Disbelief is the absence of faith. But unbelief is that natural part of our rationale and and reasoning and understanding that would seek to pull against faith as it operates within us. You remember the man said, I believe, Lord, now help mine unbelief. No doubt Mary, she believes in the Lord and she has confidence in the Lord. But you'll never convince me that her as a human being, because she is not a divine being. She is not a sinless individual. Uh, she is not some sort of, of deity. She's a human being. And no doubt she is is worried about what the future is going to hold. You imagine the question she must have had. And that reminds me that that no doubt not only was Mary weary and worried, but no doubt she was wondering. God had said he was going to do some incredible things in her life, to her, through her, and in the lives of others by her. And no doubt Mary wondered how that was all going to come to pass. No doubt she sat there and, you know, again, we we can draw a, sort of a, a linear direction between what God promises and how he fulfilled it because we sit here with a completed Bible in our lap. But from where Mary is sitting, there was far more mystery in the things she understood about what God was doing in her than there was knowledge. She knew some things God was doing and she knew some things God had promised But there's several things that the Lord says he's going to do in and through her that she just had to, by faith, trust the Lord. And no doubt she is wondering what all this is going to mean. It's interesting the times that the Bible describes Mary hiding things in her heart and wondering about things. And undoubtedly at this moment, she's wondering about what God is going to do. Now, you say, well, preacher, that's interesting, but that don't really have anything to do with me. But now, could it have something to do with you and me? You know, that may be similar to some things that you're experiencing right now. You may be weary. You wouldn't be the only one. You may be worried. You wouldn't be the only one. You may be wondering. You wouldn't be the only one. You know, we're right now, I don't know about you, I, I call this the, the, the time of peak Christmas stress. We are right at the apex of it. It's not like it'll be on December 26th when we all pass out in cookie and candy comas and Everything right now, man, everything's just from from now till till the end of Christmas. It's just like it's a flat run. It is the time of peak Christmas stress. Everybody's sick and broke, tired, fat and stressed and angry and society's going crazy. And you get out there and try to drive and everybody's trying to run over you. And right now on display is everything that makes people that hate Christmas hate Christmas. Amen. Everything's just crazy right now. And, you know, when I read this passage of Scripture, I see in Mary a pattern and a path to have a right attitude in the midst of the chaos and stress 
and obligations and bedlam that sometimes this beautiful, amazing season can turn into. You know, however a difficult time, as difficult a time as it surely was for Mary and and for Joseph, uh, Joseph, it's fascinating to see how she conducted herself in this passage. She's made this journey to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's also expecting a very special child, John the Baptist. And when she walks in the room, the child leaps in the womb, and Elizabeth begins to talk about what God is is doing in her life and in Mary's life. And hearing this, Mary begins to lift her voice in praise to the Lord. In doing so, she reveals a heart that is in love with the Lord, a, a mind that is just saturated with Old Testament scriptures. And she teaches us this. She teaches us that we can praise the Lord in spite of the difficulty of our circumstances at the moment. And she teaches us that God's grace is sufficient, not just for times of catastrophe, but for times of static, for times of frustration. For times, not just when there's crisis, but when times just get tight around. And so I want us to notice some of the things that Mary talks about in this passage. And the overall theme, if we were to give a word to it, what's she praising God for? She lists and catalogs several things. But we could use a good Bible word, I think, to summarize what she's praising the Lord for. In this passage, she's magnifying the Lord for His grace. And here's what I hope to do tonight, is give you a few things in your heart and mind that no matter what you're going through, if you're a saved individual, you can rejoice in the Lord, brighten your heart and your spirit during this time, and please and honor the Lord with your disposition. Look with me at verse number 46. The Bible says that that Mary begins this way, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. She's talking about herself. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. The first thing that she magnifies the Lord for is for his personal grace in her life. You know what she's excited about? She's excited that she has a Savior. She's excited that she has a God. She's excited that she knows that God and that that God knows her. <laughs> if you're like most people, I, your your waist is a little bigger and your uh, bank account's a little smaller and your stress is a little higher and everything's just feeling like a snare drum about to burst in your heart and in your mind right now. And can I just remind you, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through, we have a lot of things to praise Him for. But if we didn't have a whole nother thing except what He did when He saved us, it would be enough to carry us through all of eternity rejoicing in what He's done. She mentions three things she's praising God for. Number one, that she has been redeemed. She says this, my spirit hath rejoiced in God, and I like this, my Savior. It's interesting, the ideas that some people have about the relationship between the Father and the Son. Sometimes people have this sort of perspective that the Father is setting up grumpily in heaven, angry about everything all the time. But don't worry, your good buddy Jesus has come along to smooth the situation and grease the tracks and that God is just vicious and cruel and angry. But thankfully, Jesus goes in and stays His hand of wrath. But can I remind you, listen, the Father loves you as much as the Son loves you. And the Son may have given 
given his life, but the father gave his son. I don't know about you, but listen, as a father, I'd sooner give my life than give my son's life. And Mary says a beautiful thing in this passage. She says, I'm thankful that I have a God and that God is not just my judge, that God is not just my creator, that God is not just the assessor of my deeds, but that God is my Savior personally. First object for which she lifts her voice in praise is for salvation. Like the rest of us, Mary was born a sinner. She needed a savior. Verse number, and I've heard a lot of people preach on the virgin uh, birth and, and preach on the deity of Christ and talk about the fact that Mary was uh, not a perpetual virgin. She's not a perpetual. She wasn't a perpetual virgin. As you read in your Bible, that was not the case. Uh, that's the reason the Lord had half brothers and half sisters. Uh, it, it's the very reason that you and I even have a book of James to read uh, is because the Lord had half brothers and, and half sisters. And, and, you know, but one of the things, you know, they'll, they'll often go to various, uh, you know, uh, corners of, of theology and, and homardiology and eschatology and all these things. But, you know, you read verse number 47, it's enough to settle the matter of whether Mary was a perpetual virgin and sinless or not. Because the Bible says God was her Savior. And only sinners need saviors. Mary was a sinner. And in verse 47, she declares her dependence upon God in heaven for salvation. She's simply praising the Lord for the salvation she possesses. And she's saying, you know, I don't understand everything I'm going through, but I'm sure glad that I'm saved and that God is my Savior. She mentions how she's been redeemed. Number two, she mentions how she's been regarded. Verse 48, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. I don't know how often we really weigh this. It'd probably gladden our hearts more if we'd stop every now and then and think about the fact that he stops and thinks about us. Mary says, it blows me away that he knew who I was. He knew my name. He knew my address. He knew what I was going through. He knew what I could handle and what I couldn't handle. And and he, in his mercy and his grace, he took thought of me. He regarded me. The psalmist said, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou takest note of him? Hey, listen, at the end of the day. If we have nothing else to praise the Lord for, I know, I understand everything. The, the car broke, the kids are crazy, uh, the house is falling down, the bank account's empty. But you ought to stop every now and then and just say, man, I'm thankful that everything I'm going through, God sees. He takes note of. There's nothing I experience that escapes his view or his perspective. Mary says, I don't understand everything I'm going through, but I do know the God of glory knows who I am, knows what I'm going through, and has stopped to tend to my life. She's rejoicing because she's been redeemed. She's rejoicing because she's been regarded. But look at the end of verse 48. She says this, For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. She's praising his personal grace because she has been rewarded. Mary realizes that God's doing something pretty good in her life. I like how she says it. He that is mighty is hath done to me great things. Now, I would remind you that could certainly apply to salvation. But undoubtedly, she had in her mind the carrying of, of the Christ child and, and the fact that God had chosen her and, and honored her and allowing her to be the vessel through which God would robe himself in humanity and enter into this world. And she says, man, God's doing some great things in my life. Now, stop and think about all the bad things men, no doubt, and, and mankind, no doubt, was doing. 
No doubt, imagine all of the gossip, imagine all of the suspicion, imagine all of the scorn that she no doubt had to face. And she could have spent all her time focusing on the bad things that people were doing to her. But she instead praises God for the amazing things that he's doing to her. And listen, you and I, I mean, I can't make you focus on something, but nobody can stop you from focusing on something. I can preach at you, I can tell you, I can show you in the Bible, but I can't get your perspective off of your problems and onto your Savior. Only you can do that. But I'll tell you this, you can do it. And you can decide that your life is, you're not going to allow your problems to suck the oxygen out of your spiritual life. You're going to get your eyes on the Lord and follow Him and focus on Him and have faith in Him and, and rejoice in Him and trust in Him. Her reward was the fact that God was to be glorified and that others would be blessed by her actions. She said, you know, I've got a lot of bad things going on in my life, but God didn't do none of them to me. And she says, all the good things that are happening in my life have come from the hand of God. So she's praising the Lord for personal grace. Now look down at verse 50 through 53. She sort of changes the topic or the view through which she's praising the Lord. She says in those first verses we read in verse number 46, she says, my soul. In verse number 47, she says, my Savior. When she's talking about the handmaiden in verse 48, she's talking about uh, herself. And, and in verse 48, she says she'll call me blessed. And verse 49, uh, she says he's done to me great things. But look at verse 50. She says, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed the strength, showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the, the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. She's praising God, not just for what he's done in her life, but for the perpetual grace that he is extending in this world and in the lives of others. Notice three things she sort of zeroes in on. The first thing in verse 50 is the permanence of his grace. She says his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Now, what does she mean by that? Does that mean simply that that his mercy is on an individual even as they grow old? No, I think she's saying this. God's working in my generation, but he's going to work in the next generation. And he's going to work in the next generation. And he's going to work in the next generation. And what he has done in my life, though God may not ever and undoubtedly will never do it in exactly the same fashion in any other person's life, his mercy and his working is not just for one generation, but it is perpetual. Mary knows she isn't the only one who's received grace from God. Nor is hers the only generation that can expect the hand of God to move. His grace is to be revealed to every generation until the return of Christ to this earth. He is willing to, and that's, man, that gladdens my heart. If you're not careful, there's people think God done fell off his throne. And the idea is, well, everything's just fallen and there's no hope. As long as there's a God in glory, there is hope. Say, but preacher, ain't you seen what they've done to our economy? I've seen it. Preacher, haven't you seen what they've done to our culture? I've seen it. Preacher, haven't you seen what they've done to our schools? I've seen it. And God's seen it all too. And if we ever thought that there was where resided our hope, that was our first mistake. I tell you, you say, preacher, everything's changing. God's not. God's not. And if what you're rooted in is those changing things, it's no wonder. But if you'll root yourself in God, he doesn't change. She speaks of the permanence of his grace. But then look at verse 51. 
She says this, he hath showed strength with his arm. I'm going to go ahead, before I even read on, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, she's praising God over the performance of his grace. In other words, what his grace being exercised looked like to her. This is what she said. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Mary praises the Lord because he didn't come to reach out to the proud and the mighty. In fact, God chose to reveal himself to those who were poor and humble. It's an interesting thing to see the motley crew that are gathered around that manger that night. There's no wise men there, by the way. Um, I've had some of y'all may wonder, y'all come around and you say, is that a dinosaur in your nativity set? And uh, yes, is the answer to that. Yes, is the answer to that. You say, preacher, why is that? Number one, I'd say I don't owe you an explanation. But number two, <laughs> I'll go ahead and give you one anyway. We, for years, we had a, a, a man, one of my, he wasn't just a member, he was my friend, and I miss him. I miss Ralph Turner. And um, he, one time, at least this is how the story's told. There was a dinosaur in the manger when I showed up 13 years ago. So this is the story that I've been told, uh, is that Ralph put it in there, and his perspective was it's as, it has as much right to be there as the wise men. Take a Bible and argue that. Amen. <laughs> and uh, so when you when you look at the Bible, the people that were actually gathered around there, you know, there, there's a carpenter and, and, and his young, you know, wife betrothed to and their shepherds gathered there. Man, think about it. There was a heavenly fanfare when he was born, but earth didn't even so much as as roll over. Didn't even take notice of it. Now, that could grieve you and me. And there's a lot of people that spend all their time grieving at how unimpressed the world is with God. But instead, wouldn't we be far better served to recognize how poor of a situation we'd be in if God was only interested in the wealthy and the mighty and the prominent? And Mary says, I just want to rejoice that he's he's paying attention to us poor folk, too. (laughs) She loves the way God is applied his grace. You think about this passage in one great act. God has reversed the order of society, turned it on its head. Those who are considered great by men will be brought low, while those who trust in the Lord, though they may be poor and humble, will be exalted by their faith in the Lord. You say, preacher, don't you think, don't you see the devil's one? There's still a little time on the game clock, friend. And I've read the Bible. And I know how this thing is. Don't despair. We're on the winning side of this thing. Rejoice in the Lord and in the goodness of his mercy. And then look at verse 53. I need to hurry. i got a message to preach. If I let them preach a better message in a play that was shorter than my sermon, something's wrong. So i got to, I got to hurry. Verse 53. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. She praises the Lord for the promise of his grace. See, Mary reminds us that those who realize their lack can come to the Lord and be filled. While those who think they have need of nothing can expect exactly that from God. Why is she saying this? She's not just saying what he's done. She's saying what he's going to do. And she's saying, I just rejoice that every need I have in my life, he can and will fill. You know, we sometimes, I, I don't know, we there's in our mind, it's a different Mary before he's born than after he's born. And probably we've let the Catholics sort of cast things in a certain light. They don't want to talk about Mary after Jesus was born. The glimpses in Scripture that we see of her. 
And so we have allowed the Catholics to sort of change our perspective where the, that we see this divine, hallowed, you know, angelic Mary prior to his birth. And then afterwards, then that's the struggling, grieving sometimes, uh, sometimes trying to understand how to interact with a son who is God. That Mary is a different person to us. But can I remind you, that was the same Mary the whole time. And the same struggles she had after he was born, she had before he was born. And the same weaknesses she had after he was born, she had before he was born. And here in this passage, she's just encouraged to know that this relationship we have, she has with God, it's not diminishing with his birth, but it's expanding with his birth. And she is rejoicing that whatever need that she has, he can meet. When I read this passage, I'm almost, I want you to notice, she's praising the Lord for his grace, for personal grace, for perpetual grace. But then look at verse number 54 and 55. She says, he hath hopen. That's a good King James Bible word. He hath hopen. Nobody would wonder what the tense was of hopen if we'd used it. You know, nobody would ever have to search a grammar textbook to figure out what the past tense. When you say hopen, you know, uh, was hoped. Amen. Got some hope. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So she's praising God for personal grace and for perpetual grace in her life. But she's also praising God for performed grace. She's looking back and, and let's say it this way. Mary praises the Lord not only for his blessings in her life and for his blessings upon successive generations, but she also praises the Lord for remembering to do what he has promised to do. She says this, he said he would, and he did. <laughs> I may have him put it on my tombstone. He said he would, and he did. The Lord said he would, and he did. You say, what, preacher? Everything he said. And some things he never did say, too. But everything he said, he did. And that's what Mary says. Everything he said, he did. She notes the fact that God remembers, number one, his promises. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. For centuries, the Jews had lived on the promise of the Lord that he would one day send a Messiah to redeem the people and restore the nation to a place of righteousness and favor with God. And this is part of what I mean about Mary's wondering. And no doubt she wondered it more the closer she got to Calvary. But I think she understood, certainly in this moment, that Jesus is to be the fulfillment of those promises. And Mary praises the Lord for remembering to keep his promises. She says, you know, he said he'd send a Messiah, and now he's done it. He said he'd deliver us, and now he's done it. Mary couldn't have anticipated the long years during these times of the Gentiles and the dispensation of grace that would transpire between that moment and when Christ returns in power and in glory uh, to deliver Israel and to bring about, as Daniel says, uh, to bring righteousness to pass. She couldn't have anticipated all that, but she didn't have to anticipate it all. She said this, what I know is enough to know that he always remembers his promises. You probably can't guess or, or, or suss out how God's going to meet your needs all the time. And you may be facing something that you don't know what God's going to do. But I want to ask you this question. Has he proven himself to be a keeper of promises to you? I quote it all the time, but boy, I just love it so much what the Bible says about Sarah in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that she counted him faithful who promised. She, she, she looked at him and said, well, he ain't never let me down. He ain't going to start now. 
He ain't never broke a promise. He ain't going to start now. She counted his record and said, yep, faithful is what he is. Now, Mary, she's saying, you know, God's remembered his promise. But then look at verse 55. She says this, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary rejoices in the fact that the Lord, he hadn't forgot about the people of Israel. They were his people and they still are. And she praises his name that he remembers those that have placed their faith in him. In other words, she says, you know, God's not God's not cast off Israel forever. God had a plan the whole time. And God has a plan even now. And here she's rejoicing in the fact that God doesn't forget about his people. Over and over again, you'll find in the Bible that God God remembers his people. He remembered Noah. He remembered Job. He remembered Abraham and he remembered Sarah. Over and over and over again, you'll find that God, He remembers His people. Sometimes we struggle in feeling forgotten about. And I believe one of the, one of the tactics of Satan is to instill in people, particularly believers, a sense of being forgotten about. I think that's why we live in a society that is, that is drunk on uniformity and, and, and distilling people down, stripping them down, uh, for only what usable parts the world can scrap off of them before it churns them out into despair. And, and I think that being part of that is Satan wants you to feel like God forgot about you. But over and over again in the Bible, we are told God don't forget about his people. You might feel forgotten about this year. And I remind you, God's not forgotten you. And all these things remind me that no matter what you or I are going through with the stress and the chaos and the difficulty and the sadness and the despair and depression and all the things that often seem to orbit around this season, we have no reason that we can't rejoice in the Lord. Preacher, you don't know what they did to me. I know how God's been to you. Preacher, you don't know how things have have gone bad. I know he's done good things in your life, great things. So in this Christmas season, here's what I want to challenge you and especially me to. Let's go into it rejoicing. Let's go into it magnifying the Lord. Man, let's go into it. Let's, let's not go into it trying to get out of it. Let's go into it trying to get something out of it. And let's go into it rejoicing in the Lord and excited about what he's done in our lives and telling others that that same grace is extended to them likewise. Let's close in a word of prayer. Let's have somebody come play. Won't we do that? Come on, Connie. Let's. Let's have an invitation. God may have done something in your heart tonight. You need to respond to him. Father, bless this invitation. Pray glorify the Lord. I pray it magnify him. We ask it in his precious name.